Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And before we dive in to today's topic, we'd love to thank our first sponsor for this episode, Sentry. Sentry wants you to know that all code is broken, but that's all right because we can fix it together. If you rely on your customers to report errors and you're treating them basically like an offsite QA team, that's not good for them and it's bad for business. Ideally, you'd solve this with tests, but you can't just cover every single scenario with tests. We're pretty bad at writing tests as humans overall. So it's not just because we're kind of lazy and sometimes a little sleep deprived, but it's also because we can't think of every single way that a user is going to interact with the product. They might do something really, really surprising. And this is why Sentry tells you about errors in your code before your customers have a chance to encounter them. And they'll tell you exactly all the details you need to be able to fix them. So how many users have been impacted by a bug, the stack trace, the commit that caused the problem, and a lot more useful information. You can find out about Sentry at sentry.io slash four slash swift. Once again, that's sentry.io slash four slash swift. Thanks to Sentry for sponsoring this episode. All right. So uh, we're talking about a couple things today. Um, all about removing things from Swift. Have you ever thought that Swift just has too much stuff? Yeah. Too much boilerplate? Yeah. Yeah. Too many characters, um, too many keywords. Well, it's hard to type some of those characters on Apple's keyboards, to be fair. <laughs> so if you have right. fewer things to type, then you'll have fewer errors. Isn't that how it works? Yeah, so this is how we fix the keyboards, just type less. <laughs> yeah, secretly, this is just like, yeah. I don't know, the Apple executive team, like, slipstreaming their own agenda as Swift Evolution <laughs> yeah. proposals. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's I try to type as little as possible every day, and it's working out great so far. Yeah, has anyone started noticing that <laughs> you've just stopped <laughs> contributing? <laughs> nope. <laughs> The system works. system does work. Yeah. Um, so first proposal that we want to talk about is uh, 255, implicit returns from single expression functions. Initial thoughts, JP. Right. Well, sticking with the theme of removing things, um, the, the essence of this proposal is really removing having to type the return keyword mm -hmm. in single expression that's usually functions that can fit on one line. Um, there are exceptions there. Uh, you can also have a single expression that's multiple lines, but basically if you just have like one function call, um, even if it kind of chains other calls, like that's still a single expression. Mm -hmm. So it, it's about right. removing return statements, uh, exactly how it works in closures, but extending that so that it also works in, in functions and then the, Pitch also proposes doing so in other contexts, such as um, uh, property getters and, yeah, property getters mm -hmm. and subscripts. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I, um, I'm i generally uh, a fan of this change, actually. Um, well, I guess it was, uh, oh, is it still in review or? No, it was accepted, yeah. 
Um, so it was accepted. So this change will be coming through um, to a Swift compiler near you. Soon. Was it really accepted? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a post on the forums. Uh, 255 has been accepted. Uh, oh, this is like four hours ago as oh. of this uh, <laughs> recording. I think. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, ben Cohen, I guess, was the review manager because he wrote the acceptance. Um, message here on the forums yeah you know uh for trailing closures i often um omit the return keyword as much as i can well i guess it's only if they're single expressions right that's right yeah but often that's the case yeah so i i think i've you know i've actually found myself uh wanting to do this in functions before um and property getters actually i I remember very distinctly a few weeks back thinking that was possible in property getters that you didn't have to explicitly type return, but you do. Right. So I I like that a lot, actually. Well, the, the review manager, uh, Ben Cohen, tweeted something just uh, about a month ago at this point when this was doing the rounds in the pitch phase, mm-hmm. saying that about once a week he types um, some sort of computed property and then just forgets to write return, mm-hmm. and then swears under bated breath, and then adds the return once he realizes the error of his ways. And so, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he's not alone. Um, especially if you've ever written like any sort of wrapper types that tends to like proxy its uh, its interface to some underlying type. Like if you're writing type erasure or something like that, like right. you end up having to re-implement a lot of these declarations that are part of the interface. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it does tend to kind of muddy the readability mm-hmm. if like a third of the content that you see on screen, and especially with syntax highlighting, like keywords stick out, right, are just things that are really just boilerplate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an extreme case. Right. Well, we actually have a lot of this in uh, Plan Grid. We do um, like some custom uh, like bridging, I guess that's what you would call it, where... We'll have like a struct that we'll use on the Swift side, and then we'll create an Objective C class um, that gets initialized with that struct, and then exposes the properties needed to the Objective C side. So we have that seam there, so that we can like pass these types back and forth between Objective C and Swift, and like still use structs in Swift. So you basically create a a bridgeable version yeah yeah so the objective c class would just wrap the swift struct right and you'd have like computed properties for all the struct properties yeah not always all of them because sometimes we only need to access a few things so uh, but generally like yeah you basically write the type twice once as an objective c class and once as a swift struct yeah but this would this would help that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of similar to the reference convertible protocol that that's mm-hmm. exposed via foundation that um, foundation types conform to, so like data to NS data or string to NS string. These these value types that are convertible to reference types that you know for the most part are really just used for the object and drop. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Except that that was never actually supported. Uh, for third parties to use, as far as I can remember. So 
yeah, you're basically just forced to like just write your own your own boilerplate to do that if which is exactly what you're doing in playing grid. Right. Right. And if you remember way back, uh actually Russ Bishop had a Swift Evolution proposal in which he proposed basically allowing you to define how this bridging works. Um that was before I worked at Plain Grid and then once I started working there, I realized like, oh, this is why Russ wanted to do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because he actually used to work at Playing Grid. Right. And he, yeah. So he wrote a lot of the, uh, these like custom bridge types and yeah, his, the proposal that he wrote would have been awesome. I remember at the time thinking like, who, why would you want to do this? Right. <laughs> now, now I do it oh, every well, day. <laughs> at, at Realm, we had, we had huge use cases for this too, um, where, you know, for for Realm's metadata kind of schema building to work, mm-hmm. what what the SDK did is at load time, um, it would scan the Objective C register classes. But um, you know that I mean that's one angle of it. So if you have mm-hmm. Swift structs, those won't be in the in the master class list. Um, mm-hmm. But the the other thing was uh, just being able to interop with Swift objects from an Objective-C code base um, meant that, you know, you would have needed some sort of reference convertible that was supported by third-party types um, mm-hmm. for, for that to work. And ultimately, yeah, this this behavior was only ever exposed or, yeah, I guess, exposed to, to foundation and to Swift standard library types. Kind of a shame, but a bit of a sidebar right. uh, for all this kind of skipping the return statement. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, massive diversion there. But think about how nice all this would be if we had it and then could also omit return statements. Yeah. Well, you know, ultimately where I fall on this is um, like consistency is a good thing. And mm-hmm. I would have been completely understanding um, if the outcome of this discussion had been uh, let's remove the magic return emission from closures. Uh, um, yeah. Of course, I, I would have enjoyed that quite a bit less, but at least mm-hmm. um, that would have meant that uh, you know closures behave a lot more similarly to functions, right? Where they are very similar in almost all other aspects. Um, and so the fact that uh, you could do this in some cases, but not in others, was probably... Um, a, a learning curve for some folks. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think omitting the return statement is a lot more useful for closures where um, you do things like map or filter, uh, compact map, where if you had to type return for all those, like it, that would kind of get lost in the noise a lot more because you kind of change yeah. the, chain these statements together. You know, you don't really chain function declarations together. That's going to be the next proposal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I am happy with how this turned out. Now, there there was some interesting edge cases, edge case discussion that happened in in the pitch threads and the review yeah. threads. Um, well, there's also maybe this uh, section of the proposal was updated from that discussion, but there's a source compatibility section where right is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. But you should oh. you should talk about that. Yeah, so the uh, um, the issue with source compatibility is that if you have an overload of a function, 
then all of a sudden, um, yeah, this, uh, you could get into a situation where if you have an overload that has a single, or sorry, what am I trying to say here? You have a function with an overload, one returns never and one returns a type, then in the case where you call this function from another function, in which case you have a single expression, if you omit the return type, um, type inference will pick the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, super clear to everyone listening. Uh, I would probably suggest just looking at the actual proposal for that section, but it's interesting that um, that source compatibility issue could come up. Seems like it would be very rare that someone would actually write code like that, but it is possible. Yeah, apparently there there were no cases of that in the source compatibility suite, um, which has right. grown quite a bit actually since the last time that we talked about it. It's it's pretty big now, especially we can when you consider all of the transitive dependencies of all the projects that are in there. Mm-hmm. And so right. that that particular case wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't present there. So. Um, and I don't think that I've ever encountered any code that that would have um, that would have fit that exact specific criteria. Right. And if you did write code like that, you probably deserve. Well, it was probably just confusing in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, right. um, when you consider that a lot of times when you're just reading source code, you're not option clicking like every single character that's on there to get yeah. a sense of like. W- what function yeah. it's actually referencing, right? What function the type checker is actually finding. Wait, you're not doing that? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you if you've stopped writing code, maybe you've just, you know, switched to checking what yeah. every single piece of code does in a code base it's and be- not actually doing anything yeah. with it. It's because I'm option clicking too much. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you can spend all day doing that. My keyboard is still in mint condition. <laughs> Option Other key the works option great. Key. <laughs> <laughs> option key's worn out completely. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, there, there's a second point that was covered in the thread, in the pitch thread, um, which was uh, Nate Cook highlighting that, um, you know, one of the potential fa- failure cases of this while you're developing is say you have a single expression function, right? And it's inferring mm-hmm. that return. But then you go and add like a print statement before the 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 one line that's in your function declaration or you go and do something else right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. you should really have a good fix it or a good diagnostic at least telling you why your function that you previously had is no no longer compiling because you randomly added a print statement like if you were to explain this to someone who doesn't write swift like a javascript developer or java or kotlin developer that mm-hmm. if you add a print statement, some of your code may long, no longer compile. Like they would look at you uh, bewildered that you're yeah. using a language where just adding stray print statements may cause it to fail to compile, right? Yeah. But that's currently the case with um, closures and uh, uh, inferred return statements, mm-hmm. uh, which is confusing, right? So th- this is already confusing today, but if we're extending the number of cases where you can... Um, infer that return statement, then you're just going to make this way worse, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, almost immediately, like same day, um, the author of the proposal, Nate Chandler, when added that diagnostic, 
um, so that it will actually log out something like missing return in a function expected to return, like, return type. Right. Did you mean to return the last expression? Uh, which is amazing, because, like, regardless of the value of, of this proposal in itself, like, this is already a way better diagnostic than, than we used to have for existing Swift functionality. So, thanks, mm -hmm. Nate. Yeah, totally. Or Nate's, I should say. Uh, yeah, both Nate's. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, also, moral of the story, just never use print statements. <laughs> uh, what's what's interesting here, um, there was also some alternative uh, syntax proposed. Yeah, I wanted to discuss that, too. Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm happy with what uh, the final proposal um, is going with, which is just... The existing syntax just omitting the return. The uh, like some of the things considered were um, like the Kotlin syntax, where you you define you have like your function declaration, then you say equals, and then you have that single expression. We're doing some Kotlin stuff at Plain Grid now, and uh, I hate the single expression Kotlin function situation i i don't like having like function declaration equals expression to me that's just terrible um i'd prefer curly braces tell me how you really feel jesse <laughs> yeah just terrible uh, it's just i don't know it's abusing the equal sign in my opinion i just i don't like how it looks feels weird just not not really into it. But Jesse, functions are first class values. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, no, I, uh, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. And especially like from a from a parsing perspective, this definitely seems to complicate the just the edge cases quite a bit more too. Yeah. Yeah, that also. So all in all, I'm pretty happy with this. Uh, big thanks to Nate for driving this through. I know there was a lot of contention in the uh, in the discussions and of course uh thanks to ben cohen for shepherding this as as review manager um excited to use this maybe in swift 5.2 yeah i'm going to convert all my functions to single expressions and delete all the returns yeah then you'll have worn <laughs> out your option key and your delete key Okay, so now we'll take a moment to thank our second sponsor for this episode, uh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Uh, Clubhouse provides the perfect balance of simplicity and structure for better cross-functional collaboration. Its fast, intuitive interface makes it easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project while also being able to zoom out to see how that work is contributing towards the bigger picture. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day. Uh, it gets out of your way so you can deliver quality software on time. Uh, if you'd like to check them out, go to clubhouse.io slash swiftunwrapped. All right, switching gears to another uh, proposal that's aiming to cut out some more stuff out of Swift. Uh, this one is SE257, 
once again by Nate Chandler and by Matthew Johnson. Uh, those are the two authors. And this one's about alighting commas from multi-line expression lists. What does this mean, Jesse? Uh, so currently um, in Swift, uh, so it's very similar to how semicolons are treated. You can have them or not. Um, if you have multiple statements on a single line, you need to separate them with a semicolon. Otherwise, uh, the new line is the delimiter for um, statements. Um, what this proposal suggests is doing the same uh, with commas. So if you think of an array literal or a dictionary literal where you have commas separating the values or the keys in the values, um, if you put each of those on a new line, you could omit the commas. Um, same for a function call. Um, if you put each parameter on its own line, which is a very common uh, formatting technique, um, you could omit the commas there as well. Yeah, this, um, I guess I'm not that into this proposal, actually. Yeah, after reading through the pitch thread, um, the one thing that sticks out really is uh, the there's a fairly high number of edge cases that won't be gracefully handled by this. Um, that basically just lead to ambiguous expressions. So, right. for example, um, if you're using the leading dot syntax for either um, enum cases, right? So, like if you're if you're specifying an enum case like uh, for optional dot none or dot sum mm -hmm. um, if the context is already known, right? Like if the type can, can be inferred from there, then you don't need like the enum name dot something like results dot failure, right? You just need dot failure. Um, right. Well, this means that if you have an array of these, it, it becomes really tricky to know, like, is the, is this current dot supposed to be a chained function call on the, on the expression from the previous line or is this supposed to be some sort of leading dot expression, such as an enum case? Or the same thing goes actually for um, for static members on a type that return the same type. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have what's a good example of this, um, like file manager dot default, right? If the scope sure. already knows that it's a file manager because default returns a file manager type, you can just do dot default. Um, and this is, this tends to be pretty common. Um, so if you're, if you're doing those things in a list, then it could be tricky to know, well, is this dot on the second line supposed to be a chained function or a second item in this, in this expression list? Right. Um, yeah, you gave an example of an array a second ago, but mm -hmm. it also affects, um, functions uh, that don't have parameter labels, right? If function, if all functions have parameter labels, then, um, at least that case would be fine. Uh, but that's not the case. Right. So, and you also have like variadic, um, functions, mm -hmm. right? So right. Like print, for example, um, which can take an arbitrary number of arguments, um, for like the, uh, the inputs to the format string. Mm-hmm. Or like a lot of C APIs anyway, like printf. Uh, so so those would also, you know, count as an expression list. 
Right. Yeah. So this this really isn't kind of a benign removal. Um, and really, you know, there are a lot of comparisons to semicolons in this, mm-hmm. but um, a semicolon. I mean, think of this, what you will. Like, this isn't based on any hard scientific fact, but uh, semicolons aren't as nice to look at as just commas, you know, in, Mm -hmm. like, standard modern language design, I guess. If you look at Mm. um, the the modern programming languages that, you know, people tend to be converging on a specific syntax. Right. You know, commas are are everywhere. So, yeah. The the case for alighting them like we do for semicolons isn't as strong yeah for sure um i think the i mean the most compelling scenario in my opinion is alighting commas for array and dictionary literals but even then uh as uh, i think it was robert woodman uh, who pointed out on the forums it actually made him realize like what we should actually do is just allow trailing commas. An example in the proposal was if you have a, let's say you define an array literal and you comment out the, um, like the last item in that array, then you get this compiler error because you have this trailing comma on the previous line. So then you have to like delete that. It's kind of like a bad developer experience though. I'm not really sure how often this happens. Um, uh, you can always just do what I do, which is just to put all of your commas on their own line. <laughs> Classic Jesse. So yeah. far, we've we've determined that the only keys you use on your keyboard is option, delete, and comma. Yeah. <laughs> and enter, I guess, for new lines. Yeah. I, gotta, I love those new lines, actually. Um, so I like to add them in there, and then SwiftLint tells me to take them away. Ugh, why would why would it take the all the fun out of your programming experience, Jesse? Yeah, but then I get to submit more diffs, so then it gets my commit count up, so it all works out really right. great. Yeah. So wait, what was I saying? Yeah. So the <laughs> what's it? So if you have like an array literal, uh, you comment out that last thing because you're testing something. You get a compiler error because the previous line now has this trailing comma. It's like this whole inconvenient thing. And the proposal is arguing like, oh, let's just get rid of all the commas. Then like this one thing is, you know, a lot better, Um, which is true. But uh, I think I like Robert's suggestion better of just allowing trailing commas. And then uh, that scenario is nicer and we still have commas and you can comment out that last line and everything will be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to, to agree kind of with Robert's statements. Um, just to quote the first part of his uh, of his comment, um, I've tried to convince myself of the aesthetic side. I've tried to convince myself of the practical side. And I've even tried to go through and update a large framework of mine to see what this would allow. I'm not sold on any point. Um, this is all what, uh, what Robert Woodman wrote. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this... Looking at it from from a purely kind of factual point of view, I definitely agree. Um, you know, it's not to say that that it wasn't a worthwhile endeavor to to kind of go th- go down this path um, by the two main proposal authors here. I th- I think it was it was a very worthwhile thing to do, and mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the whole point of the evolution process, right? Like if everything was just approved, um, 
there wouldn't be much value in, yeah. in an evolution process. I mean, that that would give us a great language, I think. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're an anarchist, though, so yeah, uh, right. you, you can say what you want. Yeah. You can always just fork, you can always just fork Swift and just have, like, yeah. uh, you know, just turn it into brain fuck slowly but surely, just turning everything yeah. into commas and semicolons and new right. lines. You get a compiler. You get a compiler. Yeah. Everybody gets a compiler. And then your diffs would be huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's obviously the best path forward. Everyone just has their own version of Swift. And right. then, then then we won't have any more problems. And we won't need Swift evolution. Yeah, I wonder who would <laughs> remain on the forums. <laughs> uh, it would just be like that scene in Anchorman where where they all get like very violent weapons all of a sudden. Right. It'd be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone could distribute their own flavor of Swift, just like there are thousands of versions of Linux. <laughs> yeah. Swift mint. Yeah. Swift mint. That sounds good. Yeah. That's actually an existing project. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I think it's from, uh, from Jonas, Jonas Kolb. Currency thing or no, it's, um, it's it calls itself a package manager that installs and runs Swift command line projects. So you could do something like mint run, and then pass in realm slash swiftlint, and it will just run. Um, uh, if if there's a GitHub repository at at that uh, uh, at that realm slash swiftlint, it will just run mm-hmm. whatever swiftlint or Swift executable is specified there. So you can like you can do this with with Carthage. You know you can do this with. Oh, uh, right. With with any yeah. sort of Swift command line tool. Anyway, that's Swift Mint. Right. Yeah, I've, I remember seeing that project now a little bit. Um, but yeah, thinking about this more, if I had my own flavor of Swift, I think the first thing I'd do is remove all the keywords. <laughs> all the keywords? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could just remove all the attributes and call it, don't at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else on this topic? Uh, yeah. So where were we on uh, <laughs> on commas before we got distracted? Oh, just just that there there are edge cases that I'm not sure are really being well handled, um, or, or are even mm. possible to handle well if if you allow alighting commas. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean we we're talking about how you know it's it's not like commas are necessarily. Um, the biggest eyesore when you look at a Swift project and you're just like, ah, there are way too many commas here. Right. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. Um, as opposed to, yeah, I think the, the whole semicolon thing is quite different. So I, I think it's not a totally equal comparison there. Uh, the other interesting thing actually, uh, before we wrap this up is the, uh, the pull request for this is like almost 4,000 lines. <laughs> Which seems crazy to me. Yeah, but how much of that is tests? Oh, I, I didn't look at that actually. Uh, yeah. How much is it of it is tests? Uh, there's uh, one six test files. Yeah, so so no comma dot swift is thirty two hundred uh, lines of code. Right. So that is by far the bulk. <gasps> yeah. The, the bulk of what's in there. It's. <laughs> It's basically right. like every every single <laughs> test all in one file with all the commas removed. Right. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I applaud. I mean that's that's thorough, you could say that, but 
<laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, for listeners, nocomma.swift is a, a test file uh, yes. with a little over uh, 3,000 lines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there are any points for, for biggest test file, but I, I think this may win. Yeah. At least it's well tested. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> also the, uh, so the status of this PR is that it's been returned for revision. And um, who knows what it will be by the time um, this episode is published. We'll have to see. Yeah. And, and this is interesting in its own right. Um, you know, I, I think there, uh, this, this I think was a big learning opportunity for, for everyone involved. Like, and and I mean that in the best possible way, um, in that uh, these were all very interesting kind of directions, and and who knows, like this may even end up like being refined and and approved um, later on. But ultimately, um, Ted Kremenek, who is the the review manager for this, um, said that uh, it's been a very polarizing discussion, and it has not uh, been the best conducted discussions we've had in Swift Evolution's history. Mm-hmm. So, in in his opinion, uh, there was still a lot of discussion that hadn't settled by the time that um, the review period opened, and uh, and you know what that's that's probably a good thing to do is to to wait for that initial kind of thrash or or heavy discussion to to simmer down so that there's some amount of like convergence among some subset of the reviewers before really opening the floodgates. Um, right. So, you know, I, this is not a failure in any means. Um, it's really just, uh, kind of seeing it for how it is, right? Like there's, there's a lot of feedback. There's a lot of arguments on either side. Um, and so this will allow the authors to go back, incorporate some of that feedback, kind of decide where they stand on it and then reopen it up again for review. So I think, um, you know this the the aftermath is being handled very well yeah yeah seems reasonable all right i think that's all we have for this episode uh, you can find the show on twitter at swift underscore unwrapped and you can find me at jesse underscore squires you can find me on twitter at simjp uh, once again we'd like to thank our two sponsors for this episode uh, century.io slash four slash swift and clubhouse.io slash swift unwrapped if you enjoy the show please do leave a review on itunes and thanks for listening